I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Hey, our scripture today is from the book of Exodus, chapter 32, verses 1 through 14. Hear now the word of the Lord. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us who shall go before us as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. And so all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took the gold from them and formed it in a mold and cast an image of a calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. The Lord said to Moses, go down at once. Your people whom you, you brought up out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way that I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of of a calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have seen these people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone so that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. And of you I will make a great nation." But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with the evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, God, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven and all this land, and I have promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. 
and the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that it was planned to, br to bring upon his people. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I am the Lord your God, brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And I think I know what's best for you since I knit you together in your mother's womb. It, it just didn't work out. These words have got to be one of the great euphemisms of our time. Loosely translated, they mean it came to a pretty abrupt end, and I really don't want to talk about why, right? And these words take me back nearly 20 years <laughs> to the summer between my, my junior and senior year of high school when I got my very first summer job. All my friends were like, folding clothes at American Eagle, or making burritos at Moe's, or blending fruit in a tropical smoothie. But not me, not me, no. I had a job that sought the higher ideals, I thought. My, my self-righteousness inflated, right? Convinced of my own goodness, I was forsaken the suburban landscape of the mall and I was spending my summer in the inner city of Portsmouth, working at, at a Catholic summer kids program for homeless and, and at-risk youth. But like I said, I, it didn't work out. It, it didn't work out. And it, and it wasn't about the kids. The kids were fine. The problem was, was the nun in charge of the project, really. You can just call her Sister of No Mercy. Because... Everything I did was wrong. Everything. The books were never in the right order. The paint labels were never facing the right direction. The wiping was always, always left a stain. She would point it out. The movement between classes was never efficient enough for her. My enforcing of the rules was never consistent enough or strict enough or swift enough. My yes ma'ams were never loud enough, and my shorts were certainly never long enough. <laughs> it, it was this experience of being totally undermined and, and humiliated at every single turn. That was, that was my summer. Finally, I realized that what she really wanted me to be was this compliant, young Catholic woman interested in becoming a nun. And I was never going to be either of those things. And so when people asked how my summer job working with the homeless and at-risk youth was, I always just say, it didn't really work out. Yep, it, did, it, it just didn't work out. The tragedy is that many of us grow up with an image of God, like the sister of no mercy. So many of us. This God with this impossible moral standard. And we're just perpetually in the wrong. So, so we can only conclude that our face just does not fit in this story then. God would not have us here. And so when, when we hear the word sin or when we hear the word 
morality, we associate them with this feeling that we can't possibly ever get it right with this God. And if God is this censoring tyrant, like, like the micromanaging sister, we're left out. We'll never get it right. This is the kind of God that, that comes to mind for a lot of folks when, when they, they read the Old Testament. It's, it's what, the kind of God that comes to mind a lot. It's the kind of God that's come to mind for some of you, you've told me, as you think about the Ten Commandments. What I want to do today is explore how the Second Commandment, read alongside today's story in Exodus, can, can lead us to a different understanding of who God is and a different understanding of what sin means and what morality really looks like. That's our task today. But before we get to the Exodus story, uh, I, I want to go back one more time, one more time to the very, very beginning. Think about the beginning. Before there was anything, uh, before there was a universe, a big, a big bang, life at all, before there was life at all, there was God. God is the name of what there was when there was nothing else. When there was no existence, only essence, God was that essence. And as Christians, we believe there was plurality in that essence. Plurality within God. That's what we mean by, by this word Trinity, right? But what God really wanted was plurality outside of God's self. Not just within, not just within God, but plurality outside of God because God's essence was fundamentally relationship. God wanted there to be relationship with something other. God wanted there to be relationship with other, not just with same. And the word we, we now use to describe God's relationship with other, the word we Christians now use is Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of God's original desire at the very beginning to be in relationship across difference. And it's that desire that triggered the existence of the universe. But, but relationship across difference is filled with risk. I could very well misunderstand you and construe your relationship not as gift, but as burden. And so turning grace into redemption and perverting it, I may try to make relationship exclusive and envy anyone else you want to include in your life. I may seek to use our relationship to gain some benefit beyond the relationship itself. This is the divine risk. The divine risk is the possibility that humanity, that we will forget our relationship with God is the reason for our existence, that we'll forget that and instead turn to other gods and that, that, it will fail, that we will fail to realize that all our other relationships with ourself, with, with one another, with creation are all opportunities to practice the joy of discovery, appreciation and growth as an echo of our relationship with God. And that risk, our relationship across the difference makes God's goodness and mercy vulnerable to sin. 
Sin is the name of that poison that inserts itself into the distance between us and God. And it inhibits and dismantles and destroys all other relationships. Which brings us to the second commandment and to today's story in Exodus. Did you hear it? God has led these people by the hand of Moses out of slavery. God has given them manna in the wilderness, water from a rock, commandments to follow. But the people still, despite all of that, feel this distance between them and God and this distance between them and Moses. And God says, you are to have no other gods before me. You are not to make for yourself carved idols of any likeness of anything that is, it is in heaven above or, or the earth below, anything. But into the distance between them and God and into that distance between them and Moses, they allow doubt and resentment and mistrust and manipulation to grow and to fester. The people of God allow it to fester and, they, and they, they erect tangible, visible idols as the story goes of earthly idolatry within the distance of relationship, within that, that distance of relationship across the difference. How do we make sense of this? Like, what is it that makes us fail to relate to God and to one another and allow that poison in the distance between us? What is it? Well, one of the early theologians tried to explain this and talked about idolatry in terms of enjoying versus using. So think about it for a second. When I enjoy you, I, I wholeheartedly embrace your wonder. I wholeheartedly embrace your difference and mystery and depth. I don't tr trigger a cautious reflex or, or scrutinize you at arm's length, do I? No. And, and instead, I celebrate and rejoice in you, different as you are from me. The difference and in, in distance become a blessing, something to cherish, a treasure. The, the alternative, though, is uh, to enjoying someone is using them, Right? When, when I use someone or something, I make them an object in, in my larger project. Rather than in, enjoy you for your own sake, in all your particularity and your uniqueness, I relate just the parts, I relate with just the parts of you that I can use to advance my own schemes. Does this sound familiar? So if you're an iPhone, you... Using is exactly the way in which I should relate to you if you're an iPhone. But if you're, if you're my cousin or if you're my coworker, if you're a fellow congregant, if you're somebody in my congregation, if you're a friend, using is always precisely in the wrong because, because difference and distance then become, for, for, for me, just a problem to overcome. This distinction between using and enjoying helps us identify how we can aspire for all of our relationships to grow from this instrumental use to this mutual enjoyment. But this distinction is also at the heart of the second commandment. God says, do not make for yourself idols of any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or earth below. God pointing out the sin of idolatry here, which at its core is either using what we ought to enjoy or enjoying what we ought to use. Think about it. It's 
it's a, it's a mistake, of course, to assume we are to enjoy everything and use nothing at all. It, it's wrong to use other people or, or much of the created world, but it's absolutely right to use a car or a door handle or a baseball bat, right? The, the trouble that Moses discovered in, in the people on Mount Sinai is that once they, they stopped enjoying God, they quickly started enjoying things they should, they should just be using and, and turning those things into kind of gods themselves. The same goes for us. Once we stop enjoying God, we quickly start enjoying things we should just be using. We make a God of our title, of our access, of how much we get paid, of how tidy our house is, of how many, how many views we get on YouTube. And the collective name for these failings is idolatry. All forms of addiction are idolatry. But God says, remember the second commandment. Remember the second commandment. Idolatry is when we lose sight of the one who made us to respond in companionship and instead invest in other gods, often of our own making, and that is sin. The first half of our Exodus story today has this to teach us for sure. That is sin. But, but the second half of the story takes us back to the sister of no mercy. Notice how, how Moses in this story just has it out with God. Moses in the trenches in an argument, a full-on argument with God. Here, God is, it, to have an argument, God is, is not distant, arbitrary, censoring judge. That's not who God is. God is not a, a distant, arbitrary, censoring judge laying down irrational rules and making absurd demands. No, the God portrayed in the trenches with Moses, the God arguing with Moses is a God who is with us. Who, who dialogues with us, alongside us, making, restoring relationship every hour of every day, despite our, dif our difference. And made in the image of God, our relationship with others and, and the world around us is much the same. We're always in danger of using another person in our own project and we're always liable to make some material thing more important than the relationship itself. And we do just the same with God. But relationships happen. <laughs> and, and good and just societies are built when two parties resolve to take a risk. To get risky and say that the distance between us is an invitation not to just find surprising commonalities, but to explore our differences with wonder and delight to enjoy our differences. Now tell me this is not a principle that can renew our modern life. If, if anything is, this is. Think once more about the story of the Israelites and the golden calf. This, this could have been the moment when God said to Israel, it just didn't work out. 
It just did, did not work out. But instead, it became the event that taught Israel what relationship with God really means. That God is not a, a judgmental sister of no mercy, looking to catch us and humiliate us. This is not what it means to live a moral life. No, God is our companion. And so every time you are tempted to say, it, it didn't work out. Remember that, that, that the name for what occupies the distance between us is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus's are the arms that, that stretched between the gap between us and God and between us and one another. The, the gap that, that would otherwise be filled with suspicion and mistrust and, and hostility, with assuming the worst in each other and always uncharitable reads. Jesus fills that gap. Jesus always embodying God's enjoyment of us and our enjoyment of God. Jesus in the gap between us and God and the distance and the difference. I offer this to you in the name of God the Father, the name of Christ his Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you pray with me? God, as we reflect on the second commandment and your call for us to not erect idols in our own image, not erect idols that embody what is of this earth, not erect idols of glorious things above or things beneath, but for us to love you in, in that call today, we listen in. And we seek to enjoy, to enjoy you, to, to not use you to make us feel better about ourselves, to not use you to get what we want, to not use you to fulfill the, the prayers of our hearts even, but to sit and enjoy and bask in your love and your peace and your hope and your grace, to enjoy you. This is what the second commandment is about is, is enjoying God and not using God and enjoying each other, even in the distance, even in the difference, enjoying each other and not using one another. God, we seek to model our lives after you and Jesus, who is the embodiment of the enjoyment of God towards us and, and the enjoyment of us towards God. That, that in Jesus, there is never, there is never using, there is always enjoying. We sit at that table with Jesus today and we, we learn that prayer from Jesus today that is truly about what daily enjoyment in God looks like, not more than we need, but always enough. We pray that prayer that, that Jesus taught us, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Another Sabbath day to keep it.